This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Tuesday, October the 25th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. A little bit of a later start today. A couple tech issues here behind the scenes. Thank you for your patience on that one. Coming up on the show today... There's a physical keyboard meant to make using your smartphone more accessible. You'll learn about the Hable One. Things will not get cruddy when we have this conversation with Lawrence Gunther. People are considering bidets as an alternative to toilet paper. Lawrence Gunther will explore the environmental case for bidets. And municipal elections were held across Ontario yesterday. Elizabeth Moeller will tell you about her experience at the polls in Toronto. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and it's once again visiting sound from the Emergencies Act inquiry. Ottawa's interim police chief, Steve Bell, described what was lacking in reports about the protest before people even arrived in Ottawa. There's nothing around... Um, the information that identifies the activities of the protesters when they actually arrive in the city. There's nothing that indicates that the protesters are going to use the citizens of our community as the leverage point to have their voices heard. I've noticed a theme the last couple days here with some of this testimony. Last week with the OPP saying, we had a plan, we had a plan, a plan that they were not executing. Or we have Steve Bell yesterday saying, well, you know, there was no information about what would actually happen once they got here. Well, yeah, of course there wasn't because you didn't know. Like, like, how is that considered acceptable testimony? Well, there was no information about the activities they would do. Right. You have to anticipate because it was a protest coming to Ottawa. It, it, there's just been a couple moments that are making me scratch my head here, which is really allowing police to do police speak. And I'm very nervous when the politicians get up there as soon as you start hearing political speak. Just straight up. Oh, we didn't know what they were going to do once they got here. Well, yeah, of course you didn't. That's why you have to anticipate and prepare for multiple possibilities. Not just be like, oh, we didn't know. What are you going to do? Okay. Let's move on. Two more Ottawa police officers and an Ontario provincial police member are slated to testify at the inquiry today. Ontario Premier Doug Ford and former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones have also been summoned to appear as witnesses at the public inquiry. Commission lawyers say the summons was issued Monday after both Ford and Jones refused multiple requests to appear. Let's shift to a different story. Canada's competition watchdog is launching a study of the grocery industry to examine how the sector may be contributing to rising food prices. John Kennedy files this report. The Competition Bureau says in a news release today that it will explore how the government could act to combat grocery price increases and will provide a set of recommendations for the government in its final report, which it plans to publish in June. Earlier this month, the House of Commons Agriculture Committee voted to investigate food prices. The House of Commons also voted unanimously in favour of an NDP motion calling on the government to tackle corporate greed within the grocery sector. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press. 
David, David McDonald, senior economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, explores how groceries have become a key driver on inflation. You're seeing food prices in grocery stores now becoming one of the key drivers of inflation. It used to be that this was taking a backseat to things like gasoline, for instance. Um, and now in the last month, it's really driven ahead of the other big drivers of the price inflation in Canada. McDonald's reflected on it, the impact of a grocery industry with very little competition. Certainly consolidation can lead to more efficiency, but more efficiency does not mean lower prices. It can mean lower prices, but it can just as easily mean higher profits or it can just as easily mean higher executive compensation. And just a reminder that we had a very extensive conversation about this last Friday on the news panel with Joy Gupta and Alex Smythe. You can find that on your favorite podcasting platform by searching for Now with Dave Brown. Let's get to one more story here before the Daily Polls. Canadian Armed Forces Ombudsman Gregory Lick is blasting the military's treatment of ill and injured reservists. Lick says the military has failed to address a number of long-standing gaps identified by his office between 2015 and 2017 when it comes to ensuring part-time soldiers get the medical and financial support they deserve. But, you know, there are nine recommendations out of the four reports. And, you know, none have been fully implemented. So certainly disappointed. The report comes as the military is struggling with the personnel crisis with thousands of empty positions across the armed forces. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Monday, we asked you, do you feel that, do you feel that municipal election campaigns create too much litter? Signs, door hangers, etc. 91% of you said yes. 9% of you said no. Allow me to uh, sound off for one more moment here to start the day. A lot of election results came in across Ontario last night, British Columbia last weekend, other provinces later in the week. The one thing that will never annoy me as much in the world of social media and politics is people who will complain about the results of an election and say, oh, Gosh, it's going to be a really difficult four years. Oh, no, I don't like this. Oh, I'm really disappointed in you, Ottawa. Oh, I'm really disappointed in you, Toronto. Except during the campaign, they never shared material of candidates they supported. They never endorsed a candidate. They never talked about the politics. All they would do was express negativity and disappointment rather than lift up the candidate that they thought was a good choice. Being involved in politics is not just an exercise in negativity. It's about platforming ideas and people that you like. So if you wait till election night and say, oh, this is disgusting. You disappoint me, Ottawa. Well, what did you do? What did you do other than run your mouth after the result was already in? That's your choice, not the people of Ottawa's choice. Today's Daily Poll, much lighter fare, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Are you already in the Halloween spirit, yes or no? We'll be talking to Elizabeth Moeller later in the hour after we discuss some municipal election results and her experience voting at the polls. But some ghost stories, but some Halloween events taking place this weekend ahead of Halloween next Monday, and some of the decorations are already up. I've already seen some people wearing costumes around. We had Melina Kazanavishus where her squid hat on the show last week during her community report. So are you already in the Halloween spirit? Yes or no? Alex Smythe, yay or nay? Uh, I guess I'll say yay, but with a bit of a caveat, because 
it's one of those things I'm actually not going to be around for Halloween. I'm, I'm going to be away on a, a nice sunny beach down south. So it's kind of hard to really get fully into the Halloween spirit when you know you're going to be gone for Halloween itself. But that said, you know, I've, I've been watching all the horror movies, getting into the kind of the mood, drinking some pumpkin beer, pumpkin spiced lattes, you know, stirring up controversy with my choice of pumpkin based beverages. But uh uh, that said, yeah, I, I, I always love Halloween. I love everything the season entails. So I will say, you know, 75% Halloween spirit right about now. I, that last 25% usually comes on the day of Halloween. Mm. So I'll, I'll be too busy kicking back with some margaritas and pina coladas to, they, to get fully invested. They don't have Halloween in Aruba? Well, they, they do put on a bit of a uh, show. The last time uh, I went down uh, to... Uh, to Aruba, they had some sort of decorations. They had a pastrami uh, skull that they had done up oh, for, yeah. for the buffet. So you know they they do things there, but it's it's hard to to me. It's like spending Christmas somewhere else, like that's not wintry and yeah. snowy. Like yeah. there's certain iconic things you need in your mind to really get into the spirit. I need to see the kids going up and down the street in the costume. I need to see all the jack o' lanterns and the pumpkins and the falling leaves. Halloween is kind of like New Year's, a little bit overrated, but the best part of Halloween is the cheap candy on November the 1st. Eliza Rocco, are you already in the Halloween spirit? Oh, yes, Dave. I've been in the Halloween spirit for many, many weeks now. I What Christmas is to some people is what Halloween is to oh. me. I, I just... I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know where the feeling comes from, but I love Halloween. I love the spookiness. I love the fun movies. Um, I love the costumes. I'm a big costume person. Um, surprise, surprise. Not not very surprising since I was a theater <laughs> kid. Um, but my favorite part of Halloween is. Um, one of my cats really enjoys costumes. Okay. <laughs> so every year I go out and I buy him or make a costume for him. And uh, he, I got him his already, and he, he's loving it. He sits okay. around the house, he walks around um, like he's the most beautiful cat on the planet, and he really is. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> See, I like that we're learning things. I didn't know you were in the Halloween spirit oh, already, yeah. so this is exciting. I didn't I didn't know when I asked the question what I was going to get, kind of like when Marco Pasqua told us yesterday that he aspired to be a professional poker player before becoming an accessibility consultant. So sometimes you ask the question, and you end up getting amazing results. Eliza, <laughs> thank you for this. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Before we get to your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, I can't let Dave just slam Halloween as being overrated like New Year's. We got an entire uh, month to celebrate, not overrated at all. Uh, so let's go start with St. John's, Newfoundland. It's mainly sunny and a high of 17. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers and the high is 19. In Montreal, Quebec, it's a mix of sunny clouds and a high of 23. Beautiful day out there. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's cloudy with a high of 21. Here in Toronto, it's mainly cloudy, but still a high of 18. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it showers this morning, turning cloudy in the afternoon, and 9 is the high. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of light snow and the high is two. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, 
The snow continues to fall. It's snow flurries this morning, then clearing up in the afternoon in a high of four. Over to Calgary, Alberta. It's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of plus three. Up in Edmonton, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of flurries, then freezing rain as the temperature gets warmer. It's clearing up this afternoon and the high is seven. Up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's cloudy with a chance of snow flurries and minus three is the high. Over in Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy this morning, then rain, which is great because they really need it out on the West Coast, and it's 11 is the high. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it's rain off and on today, and the high is 10. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, you'll have the chance to learn about the Hable One, a physical keyboard meant to make using your smartphone more accessible. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There's all kinds of technology in the world to make other technology more inclusive and accessible. When you think about things like your smartphone, what are some of the pitfalls you run into? Touchscreens can be super annoying and an awkward interface. And sometimes you just miss the physical keyboard. So let's learn about the Hable One with one of its co-founders, Frick von Velsenis, who joins us from the Netherlands. Hey, Frick, thank you for making time for us this morning. We're grateful. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me about the Hable One. What was it designed to solve? What was the issues it aimed to resolve? Yeah, so the Hable One is really there to make it easy to use your smartphone if you have a visual impairment. Um, so we really focus on get using physical keys uh, to be able to use the phone. So instead of having to use those gestures and those weird swiping movements, you can access the entire phone with just eight physical buttons. Tell me a bit about the device. How big is it? What does it look like? Can you describe it a little bit for me? Yeah, so it's around the size of an iPhone. Actually, I have it in my hands um, and it's around the same size. And I put my hands around it. So I hold it in like a horizontal mode and my fingers would actually automatically fall on the buttons. So I have one side with eight buttons. There are six buttons that represent the Braille grid and then two more navigation or function keys. Uh, and that allows me together to control the entire phone. It's black uh, with white uh, buttons, kind of has this modern futuristic feel. And it really looks a little bit like a remote controller for the phone. It's a really great idea. I know people do miss a lot of the physical features on their typical cell phone. How'd the idea come about? Why'd you come up with it? How did it, how did it happen? Yeah, so uh, I'm not alone in Hable right now with 12 people, but my co-founder, Ayushman, he originally came up with the idea. Uh, he was living together with his grandfather, uh, who lost his vision at the age of 40, and he could no longer use his phone at all. And that's really where the first idea came from. Hey, can we make a device that uses physical keys to make someone able to operate the phone without having to use a touchscreen? Um, and... Over time, we've, I think, tested with over a thousand people, a hundred prototypes, and finally came to a design that really was super simple and intuitive. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's where we are right now. And that's what we created. 
You, you mentioned all those consultations. How valuable was that for you guys through the development process? It was crucial. So uh, when we started off, we kind of sat within our own four walls, uh, as I like to say. We thought we had the best idea ourselves. We would work on the product. But very soon we realized that you have to go out there and you have to get as much feedback as you can. And at the start, it can be a little bit painful. We learned that the things we were doing uh, were not helping at all, were not useful at all. So the more we got out, the more we actually interacted with people that would eventually use it, the better the products became. And we still use it philosophy. So actually still whenever you have a Hable, you get software updates every three to four months that are quite substantial. So that really add a lot of new features. And those are decided by our users. We really, uh, based on the activity that we see in our community groups, based on the request, that's what we build on the device. So it's a philosophy that took some time to get into the company, but now it really is the, the staple of what we're doing. How long did it take to develop the product? Uh, I think it was around two and a half years. So it was released uh, or it was put on the market September last year, but that was just in the Netherlands and the UK. Uh, and by now, we're already in 10 markets around the world because it, it, it has been yeah so good. The feedback is, people are so enthusiastic. The feedback is really good. So we decided, hey, let's make it available to more people uh, as soon as we can. How did you go about getting it to more markets like that? How were you building relationships to do that? Yeah, so for us, what was really crucial was, again, that approach with users. So we would actually reach out to people in community groups that are already established and saying, hey, we have this new product. We would love to get your feedback. And we would just send products, uh, demo products uh, in a market. And we'd ask people, hey, what do you think? And where would you get it? And then they would actually start promoting the product themselves because they were so happy using it. So it's really a yeah, really customer-centric, really user-centric kind of approach that we used. And that's something we're still doing. It's really being promoted by our users to our users. How are you and your colleagues feeling about that growth that you've experienced in the last year? Yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, we're still a very young team. Uh, I'm only 25 years old. My co-founder is 28. We have a team of people all in their 20s. And that's super exciting because they're really fast in adopting to new roles and kind of changing the way we work. And that's something that we need because we're, we're learning so much like every week, week in, week out, that we have to keep changing. And I think that's also the fun. Uh, if I look at our product team, like how fast enough to do updates and really major updates in the software and how well they're doing, I think it's just fantastic. I'm really proud of that. You mentioned that there's a lot of young people that you're working with, a lot of enthusiasm trying to address these issues. I'm curious what the landscape is like. Do you find yourself collaborating with other people and meeting other developers and other designers and getting a sense of what the accessibility technology landscape looks like with maybe a, a new generation of developers like yourself on the forefront? Yeah, actually, I think it's a really, really exciting domain, uh, so to say, because there's a lot of people that are, everyone's really willing to collaborate. So whenever we reach out to other companies or uh, maybe uh, companies that might be a competitor to us, they're all very open in working together, collaborating, sharing their knowledge. And I think that's super exciting. And then from our end, we have a lot of people that have a technical background, so they can really combine what they see as the newest technology and really put it into our market and say, hey, how can it be useful for people with a visual impairment? How can we use this to make uh, technology a bit more equal so everyone can use it? And I think that combination of working with people in this domain that are super open to work together and that kind of technical background that we have, it, it, that works perfectly together. And it really helps us yeah, skill so fast. Frick, it's a really good idea that you and your colleagues came up with. And I'm really glad to see that it's growing and that people are finding a great use case for it. Where should they go learn more about the one keyboard 
Yeah, the best way right now to learn more about the keyboard is just on our website, which is at imhable.com. There you find all the information, videos about how it works, a lot of testimonials of our current users, and also where you can uh, buy or test the product if you want to. So all the information is on our website, imhable.com. Frick, we're so grateful for your time today. Please, please stay in touch. And as you guys uh, put out new products or new ideas, bring them to the show and we'd love to chat with you. Thank you so much, Dave. It was really great to be here. That's Frick van Velsenis, the co-founder of Hable One, joining us from the Netherlands. And we'll make sure we share a blink, a, a blink. How about a link to the blog? A blink. A blog link is a blink. We'll, send, we'll put a link on the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. I'm not opposed to inventing new words, but sometimes I need to explain to you what the new words are before I just start running with them. Coming up next, people are considering bidets as an alter alternative to toilet paper. Lawrence Gunther will explore and explain the environmental case. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minutes. Canada's main stock index continued Friday's rally with more gains yesterday. Toronto's TSX index rose 57 points to close at 18,918. New York's Dow Jones average surged 417 points and the Nasdaq added 92. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning a little higher at 72.94 cents U.S. A new report says Canada's economy lost almost $13 billion over the past year due to a nationwide labour and skills shortage in the manufacturing sector. The annual labor survey by Canadian manufacturers and exporters found four in five companies said they are facing labor and skills shortages. Manufacturing companies are having a particularly hard time finding skilled trades workers, such as welders and industrial mechanics. CME says two factors are combining to create the shortage, an aging cohort of baby boomers retiring in waves, and a lack of interest in manufacturing jobs from young Canadians. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Whether it was empty shelves during the pandemic, a matter of cleanly convenience or an environmental conscience... People are considering bidets as an alternative to toilet paper. Lawrence Gunther is here to explore some angles into the issue. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. So, Lawrence, I think I laid it out there a little bit in the intro, but why are people deciding to make more of a splash in the bathroom? You know, there's a bunch of reasons. It's, uh, it's you get a sense of more cleanliness. Uh, it's a just a nicer feeling. It's more accessible. You know, it's right there. It's water. It's easy. It's convenient. Uh, you're saving uh, money. You're not having to buy a lot of toilet paper anymore. And according to the experts, it's a lot better for the planet. Okay. So that's where I think it would confuse me because I would suggest that that water conservation, especially freshwater conservation, mm -hmm. is something we should really be striving for as opposed to paper. So I'd assume that bidets use more water. How do they end up being a, conser a conservation of water? Well, this is this data that I've gathered together. An average Canadian uses about 83 rolls of toilet paper uh, a year, 
So in their lifetime, an average Canadian would go through about 6,886 rolls of toilet paper. That's a lot of toilet paper. That is. You know how much? Yeah, it's a lot. And then you know how much water it takes to make one roll of toilet paper? No idea. 100, 140 liters. No I, way. I mean, yeah, 140 liters times 6,886. I'll let you do the math on that one. But that's a lot of water, right? So, so then, so that's just to make the toilet paper. Then you got to package the toilet paper in that plastic wrapper. Then you got to transport the toilet paper from the factory to the store. Then you got to go pick up the toilet paper with your whatever vehicle you're using to get it home again. So there's a lot of transportation aspects to that. That's all. That's all carbon. You know, uh, putting carbon in the atmosphere as well and plastic pollution. So in the end, in the end, from what people are saying, if they switch to bidets, they use between 15 and 20 rolls of toilet paper a year. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm counting a difference there for sure, but a quarter, about a quarter of total usage based again on my uh, very amateur math skills. I didn't know there'd be math today, so I'm very upset about this. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence, is there an accessibility <laughs> perk when it comes to bidets? Apparently, you know, everyone thinks of a bidet as, you know, the, uh, the, the, the fixture on the bathroom floor, right? You know, with the, with the, uh, that you squat on, sit on, and, and wash yourself. Well, they also have now a much more accessible, flexible, well, kind of like a hand shower kind of device that you can attach to your bathroom uh, toilet. And then you have that fixture right there close to your toilet, and you use your toilet as a bidet with a hand wand kind of thing. So that in itself gives uh, more flexibility if you have, uh, you know, different, ability to reach in there and, and clean yourself it's, it's you have more tools more flexible tools and you can clean pat yourself dry with some uh, a, a reusable towel so the, the cost of those are are much lower than an actual installing a bidet if you don't have room for a bidet on your floor in your bathroom you can get one of these these flexible uh, handheld devices so yeah there's there it they can be affordable and accessible well let me tell you my upstairs neighbor has caused two different leaks trying to install one of those on his uh, on his his toilet so uh oh, i oppose oh. i oppose them as a matter of practical principle uh due to the leaks that it caused in my guest bathroom but your point mm. is taken your point is taken okay. it's definitely Get easier a hire a plumber yeah, hire hire a, hire a professional please <laughs> person who lives above me who's always doing renovations that seem to go poorly because you're bad at it Hire a professional. Um, there we go. <laughs> uh, Lawrence, what's, what is the bidet market looking like in Canada? Lots of sales because, again, anybody can remember just a couple of years ago, toilet paper was at a premium. So it really did part, uh, spark sales. So since 2019, bidet sales have gone up 100% every year. That's huge, right? That's like a doubling every year. So that's that's a lot of bidet and bidet attachments. I, I mean, you see the bidet attachments thing. That's I think relatively new. Bidets themselves have been around forever. Mm -hmm. So this is this is uh, this is you know whether it's because of a, a scarcity of toilet paper that that fear we went through you know three years ago, two and a half years ago, or whether it's environmental reasons, or whether it's just a, a want to feel good about yourself, a cleanliness kind of thing. It's a uh, and we're you know what we're outdoing the Americans on this as well, right? So we're eight percent ahead of the uh, United States. So no, no, uh, not throwing shade on Americans down there, but there you go. Well, we can throw a little shade. A lot of that infrastructure is falling apart down there. They haven't had clean water in Jackson, Mississippi in years. So, I mean, wow. I think I think we can toss a little shade here and there. But don't worry, yeah. Brett Favre is embezzling lots of state money that was uh, de destined for uh, people on welfare so he could build oh, volleyball boy. courts at the university. So don't worry. The rich in Mississippi oh. are doing just great, but their water system, mm, not perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lawrence, 
minutes before yeah. I go too far down this pathway of uh, getting yeah. sued by Brett Favre. What's the verdict? <laughs> Are bidets better for the environment? According to the University of British Columbia, they have re researched this, and the experts say, ding, 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 yes, bidets are better for the environment. You are using more water at source, that's for sure, but once you factor in the amount of water it takes to make the toilet paper and everything that goes along with that, you're way ahead of the game. So, Lawrence, I think we're always talking about little choices here to be more environmental. Where do you think this fits into the overall solution in building a greener, more sustainable planet? It's hard to sell people on making environmental choices, right? You know, it, mostly it involves sacrifices, like don't fly so much, you know, don't take the car, walk, ride your bike. These are these are real impactful choices that we need to make and we need to think about. You know, we saw that data about how, this, you know, the Hollywood type and the music type, the, all the celebrities are flying around in their planes and burning tons of carbon, you know, fuel up there. And, you know, we hear about that and we think, well, we don't want that to be us. And so we, we can make those bigger choices about things like that. But this is, these are, this is one of those choices that you can make that it's, it's a plus plus, right? Yeah. You'll feel better. You'll feel better. The, the planet will be better off. So it, it can become a series of little choices, right? Lawrence, that if somebody mm -hmm. wants to make the move to a bidet, that's cool. You made that choice. That can that can work. Maybe if you're a coffee pod drinker, you make sure to be buying compostable coffee pods as opposed to buying uh, plastic coffee pods. Mm -hmm. you're, you're using reusable coffee pods, or maybe you're not using pods at all. Maybe you're actually grinding your own beans and making your own pots of coffee. Maybe it's energy efficient appliances. If you can afford that, maybe it's making your house more energy efficient. There's a lot of things as individuals that we can do, but as you point out, there are a lot of bigger structural decisions that have to be made as well, i.e., like overall investments in renewable energy across the power grid. Mm, yeah, yeah. Are we going to go, uh, you know, more coal? Like uh, Germany just announced they're going to keep three nuclear power plants going for another year, right? So there, there's, there are big choices for sure that we need to be on top, and we, we have to be a part of those conversations for sure. But mm. th this, is, this, is a, this is a fun one, especially <laughs> after our last conversation two weeks ago where we were nuclear talking about atomic bombs. <laughs> nuclear war, yeah. We definitely, this topic was not a cruddy one, that's for sure, Lawrence. Uh, so, what's coming up on the next edition of Outdoors? Well, we're talking to uh, the executive director of uh, Door Number 1, and uh, this is an, a nonprofit organization that is involved with challenging schools. So getting into schools, working with the student body and the uh, the teachers and the administration and putting together a team to look at things, what they could do right there in their school to make it more environmentally efficient and celebrating those successes, sharing their their lessons learned. It's it's a, just a great organization. So we're going to be talking to the uh, head of that organization because I think this is something all of us can get involved with, you know, all young people who go to school, whether you have a disability or not, you could become a leader of one of these uh, organizations at your own school and take the mm -hmm. charge. So there's your challenge. There's your challenge, guys. And um, and then we're going to hear from Miss Lillian about Grace the Turtle. What's going on with Grace the Turtle? Wait, who's Grace the Turtle? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay, we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's a mystery for everyone involved. Wait, Lawrence, is it, is it a tortoise or a turtle? It's it's a turtle. It's, it's a, a full, turtle. Okay, it's a full blown it's a famous turtle. turtle that I have known nothing about. Okay. But, but <laughs> I <laughs> love it. Listen to the podcast, will you? Yeah, yeah, listen to the podcast or listen to the show. That's how we learn these things. Lawrence, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio 
or download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And when you're there, don't forget to uh, subscribe to our show as well and leave a review if you can, or at least leave a rating. I saw a couple five stars pop up on Spotify recently. I was very happy that you went out and did that. It helps us out if you can subscribe, rate, review, share with friends, all that good stuff. So Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, now with Dave Brown. Punch that into your favorite podcasting platform in the search bar, and you indeed will find it. And that's how it rolls. Coming up next, municipal elections were held across Ontario yesterday. Elizabeth Moeller will tell you about her experience at the polls in Toronto. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Municipal elections were held across Ontario yesterday. Let's recap a couple of the results for you. Toronto has re-elected John Tory as mayor. Tory looks forward to continuing the work he already started. We've made so much progress on getting transit and housing built and growing our economy. And now we have a strong mandate to continue with that progress. And that is what I asked for, a strong mandate, and that is what I have been given. Former Ontario NDP leader Andrea Horvath has won the mayoral race in Hamilton. Horvath says it's an honour to continue serving people. We are but servants of the people of this city. It is our job to make sure that all of our hopes and dreams are realised and that we build a beautiful city that we can all be proud of. Former Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca has won the mayoral race in Vaughan, Ontario. Del Duca laid out some of his priorities. The work that we had ahead of us, we have ahead of us, is considerable. We are a city that will continue to grow and needs to grow. We need more good jobs. We need more sustainability. We need to fight traffic gridlock with everything that we have. And Mark Sutcliffe was elected mayor of Ottawa by a narrow margin. Sutcliffe says residents made a clear choice. The people of Ottawa made a clear decision. You voted for positive change. You voted for compassion and fiscal responsibility. You voted for a safer, more reliable, more affordable city. It was a good day to be a former provincial politician or a former broadcaster. John Tory, Mark Sutcliffe, former broadcasters, they get to be mayor and... Del Duca and Horvath, professional politicians, continuing to be professional politicians. Maybe there's a future for me one day. Let's say hello to Elizabeth Moeller, our community reporter in Toronto. Hey, good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Dave. Of course there's a future for you. Why would you even think anything else? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if a life of politics is for me. Too much shaking hands and hanging out with people. I prefer my time in the lair. Elizabeth, as mentioned, there were all those municipal elections that were held across the province yesterday. Before we get into your experience voting in Toronto, as always, you were well prepared beforehand. So how did you go about planning and preparing for a smoother election experience? You know, there's a really great app and it's called My Vote and you can download it on your mobile device or you can go onto your PC or Mac computer and get onto the website. And what's really great about My Vote was there's a couple things that 
this year were different. You can actually download and print off your ballot. So for a number of us, if you've just moved, you may not get your ballot mailed to you or it's in print with no distinguishing features. So you may not know what your ballot is when it comes in the mail. Ergo, you may throw it out thinking it's a piece of junk mail, <laughs> which is what I did. Uh, you know, confessions here, Dave. But not to worry because you can print off your ballot. It's a, it's a PDF um, and you can take that with you. The other great thing is you can actually search up where to go to vote. Now in the past, when I've tried to do this, there's a map and it's very visual and you have to put a pin in your neighborhood and then drop the pin and it wasn't accessible with JAWS. This year you could type in your address and it would pop up. And then what you were able to do is you were able to see where you could vote in the pre-voting, uh, pre-election day. So where you could go to vote before October 24th and then where you would vote on the day. The other nice thing is you could see what the accessibility features are because some voting stations didn't have accessibility features. So you were able to kind of do that research as well. The other thing I liked is in ASL, they had a video walking you through the process of voting. So what pieces of identification do you need? What do you need to bring with you? Many people came yesterday to my voting station and they didn't have proper ID and had to be sent away mm. uh, to get that. So a lot of really great stuff on my vote. The, the other thing is you can see all your city councillors. Who's running for city councillor in your ward? You can see all the mayoral candidates, the school board trustees. And you're also able to do things like update and change your voter information. So for me, my my full name is not something I wanted on my voter card, so I was able to just put in Elizabeth Moeller. So really nice, handy-dandy tool, my vote. Uh, certainly something to keep in mind for the next election. Elizabeth, you're always such a great resource, especially around election time, because you are so well-prepared. You do your research. There are people who maybe just turned 18 or maybe have not been involved in the political process before. What advice do you have for a first-time voter? You know, I was thinking about this last night, and it's make a plan to vote. And when I say that, I don't just mean make a plan on the day to go out and vote. I mean thinking through the accessibility. So actually sitting down and talking it out with somebody and saying, hey, on the election day, here are the things I think I'm going to need. Let's do some research to figure out if my station has Braille ballots or if I need to get those brought into my polling station. Do I have a ride on election day? Because you can actually set that up if you don't have a ride. Figuring out maybe you want to go in the pre-voting or in the pre-election day voting because it's quieter and it's easier to get around. Uh, really thinking through what what tools are out there to help me vote. Maybe I don't read Braille and maybe I need a, a sip, sip and puff device to help me vote or one of the audio devices that reads out the candidate names. So thinking about what is my plan to vote and what accessibility things do I need to build into my voting plan and thinking about contingencies. So if my ride doesn't show up on the day, how am I going to get to the mm. election site? So really, I think having a really good solid plan. And when I was 18, I actually voted in the, the pre-voting day um, option because it was a little bit easier to just kind of navigate that first time experience in a quieter environment. And I would also just throw in, don't go during busy time. So don't go after work if you can help it at all. Yeah. Early in the days, your friend or the middle of the afternoon is always a nice time as well. That 1 PM, 2 PM range, you know, when regular people, when normal people have to work, it's a great time to scoot in there and, and pounce on an opportunity. Uh, exactly. Elizabeth, I think we've reflected on your experience voting literally in now in two elections in the last 12 months between the federal election and the provincial election. Well, now we lean again on your experience from voting in this election. Is there anything you feel could be done better in terms of accommodations during or before voting day? 
Yeah, I, th- you know, I had actually called ahead and asked if they could have a, a braille ballot and that I would be bringing someone with me to assist. And when I got there, I, th- I guess that information hadn't have been communicated. So I think just really making sure that folks who are running the election are aware of the different options. And I think the other thing, the, the other really big piece to knowing that you can actually get a, a mail-in ballot, so you can you can mail your ballot, or you can get a proxy to vote for you. Those are things that I learned in this election. So just some accommodations to think about in the future. The other thing too that I would think about for for voting is really to think about um, how how are you going to navigate the braille ballot if you've never done it before. So going in early and maybe getting some help with that accommodation um, because the braille ballot is just a straight if you've never done it there's different numbers for the different candidates so if you've never done it just being able to go in early and get some help with that and that's something this year that unfortunately just the folks in my in my particular election um office weren't weren't as equipped for so those accommodations weren't there but you know good thing to to report into your city councilor about Mm. for sure elizabeth i'm going to ask you the same question i asked as part of the daily poll yesterday on municipal election day and that is do you (laughs) <laughs> well, we did have 91% of the people land on one side of this uh, one side of this question. But do you find that municipal elections cause too much litter, whether it be door hangers, signs everywhere? Is there too much clutter and litter when it comes to all this municipal election material? Absolutely. Yes. Hardcore. Yes. And, you know, even Dave, as I was saying, the voter cards, they're not accessible. There's no way I would know unless I scanned it or asked somebody what that piece of paper is. There's no distinguishing markers. So do we need a mail-in voting card or, you know, could could people print off their voter cards from the PDF or not even print them off? Just bring their phone with the PDF to the Mm. election site and say, this is my voter card. And if you want one mailed to you, absolutely, you can do that. But that shouldn't maybe be the default. So many of us now are doing things online. Uh, the the flyers and the, the litter that's dropped off is often something that I can't see, so it goes right in the bin. It's so wasteful, and I think there's so many more ecologically friendly ways to do this. Yeah, and to a certain degree, I understand that politicians have a very particular way of doing things. Also, there tend to be a lot of rules around this, too. Oftentimes, there can be a lot of gatekeeping that goes on that says, no, no, you can't do this or you can't do that as a way to woo voters. You can't go into this building, but you can go into this building and drop off cards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I get that maybe there's some rigidities that make it a little bit difficult for politicians and their campaigns to think creatively or think outside the box. But yeah, you're well to point out that there's also a big-time accessibility angle here. You're absolutely. trying to make a case to me and you're putting this door hanger on my door and it's literally just colors and little tiny fonts that do nothing for me. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, I always find that the phone calls are the best if you want to get the the most accessibility built in possible. Not everybody has a computer. We know that or a tablet. Not everybody can read the door hangers. So the old telephone works best, I think. Yeah, phone phone calls. I also do appreciate when someone will actually knock on my door. That was me too. That was my big complaint yesterday. People were leaving door hangers. Oh, it looks like I missed you. But I was definitely home, and you definitely didn't knock on the door. <laughs> but they did miss you. They did miss you. They definitely did miss me. That's that's for sure. Elizabeth, let's uh, pivot to something a little bit more fun and a little bit more seasonal. Halloween is next Monday, so there are ghost tours aplenty going on all across the province. What's on your radar? 
Well, Toronto has something called the Toronto Ghost Tour. These are a multiplicity of tours that are running basically every night from now until Halloween. So depending on your level of spookification and your your budget... (laughs) There are different tours. So there's one I really want to check out, the Elgin Theater. You go in with a group of people and you get to actually hear about some of the haunted stories and maybe even talk to a few spirits if you're in the mood. And then maybe go for a spirit if you're feeling a little frightened. Uh, There's another one that I did. It was fantastic. It was an audio described tour. And it walked through some of Toronto's downtown haunts and talked about some of the the history there. There's another one at University of Toronto talking about some of the haunting sites of the campus. As well as one at Black Creek Pioneer Village. And that one does say that it's a little bit spooky. So they ask you to be over 18 for that one. Another great one. This looks like lots of fun. A haunted cruise leaving... Um, harbor front every night at eight o'clock you go around for an hour and a half and you hear some of the haunted stories of the island you see this is a wide range of ghost tours and ghost opportunities and haunted walks to do here elizabeth the last couple of years we've had to rely a lot on audio tours or online tours or virtual tours is there still any of that going on this year Yes, there is a virtual campfire with Jim Dean, and you can sign up for that. They run every night. It's 14 bucks to participate. It's an hour and a half, and you can bring the spookiness right to your home. So folks aren't feeling quite ready to get out there yet. They have that option as well. Elizabeth, you've told us before about so many storytelling opportunities in these kinds of tours. Do you find you're someone, you're, you're someone who gets into the Halloween spirit? Does Halloween oh, work for yeah. you? I love Halloween. I'm getting in right after Thanksgiving. I went, like I said, on Saturday to a tour. I was totally immersed. I will probably be doing some spooky things on the weekend. I think for me, what's really fun about it is this opportunity to kind of hear stories that we don't normally get to talk about and kind of just test our limits a little bit. Who doesn't like to do that? Maybe I'll even watch some (laughs) X-Files. Oh my gosh. I don't know, Elizabeth. There was a time in my life where I could very much handle the horror films. I really liked them. As I've gotten older, I think I've gotten a little bit softer and they tend to resonate with me. I was was telling the the gang on the show last week that there was a remake of, ooh, gosh, what was... Halloween? It's not Halloween, is it? No, no, no. It was a remake of Evil Dead a couple of years ago in 2013. And I went to go see it in theaters. And there was one scene in particular that I found particularly jarring and I did not sleep right for two or three days. And that was kind of the moment where I... will take you to my scary movie. It'd be my (laughs) scary movie, buddy. I do Uh, wonder what AMI's got planned for this weekend. Any scary Halloween movies? We'll have to see. Yeah, I wonder what our described described feature Uh, film is on Saturday night. But I know you won't be watching it, Dave. (laughs) Unlikely. It's not not just because I'd be scared, but it's also college football season. So I've got a lot of priorities in the middle, Elizabeth. (laughs) Elizabeth, thank you for this. Have a lovely spooky season, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks as part of a roundtable with Marco. Absolutely. Try not to be too scared. (laughs) I'll do my best. That's Elizabeth Moeller, a community reporter in Toronto, Ontario. And if you want to learn more about the stories that Elizabeth covered there, including some of those ghost tours and haunted walks, we'll make sure we share that after the show on the blog, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. It's actually just a singular news story, and it's a follow-up from yesterday in the world of international politics. Rishi Sunak 
has become Britain's new prime minister after being asked to form governments by King Charles. Sunak vowed change with the new government. This government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. Trust is earned and I will earn yours. Sunak reflected on the turbulent few months in British politics. Some mistakes were made, not born of ill will or bad intentions, quite the opposite, in fact, but mistakes nonetheless. And I have been elected as leader of my party and your prime minister, in part, to fix them. Canadian politics are not perfect, whether it be at the federal level, the provincial level, the municipal level, the school board trustee level, you take your pick. It's not great. I'm curious, though, when you look abroad, maybe to some of the chaos, and I'm comfortable using that word, that we've seen in the United Kingdom over the course of not just this year, but pretty much the last six years since the Brexit vote, or even when we look south of the border with some dysfunction and midterms coming up that could lead to more dysfunction and polarization, do you ever sit back and just reflect and say, ah, for as much trouble as we have here, at least we're not having prime ministers in place for 45 days or having presidents who can't pass legislation because you need two-thirds of a Senate to pass anything. It, For all its flaws, for all its flaws and considerable historical injustice, there's still something about Canadian politics that makes me feel better about being a political creature. But what do you think? Am I overreacting? Am I overthinking it? Am I being too patriotic? Am I wrapping myself in the flag? Reach out to me and let me know. Send us an email. Feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca. Punch that right into the email bar and it'll make its way to us. If you put now with Dave Brown in the subject line, it'll get to us a smidge faster. That way people will know. This is for Dave. It's for Dave's eyes only. You can also find us on social media at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media on TikTok, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, and at Accessible Media Inc. on Instagram. So you can find us all across those platforms. Or you can go old school. You can grab the phone. We're going to do it together. We do this from time to time. And you punch in the number to leave a voicemail. one 509 Let's do that together one more time. 1-866-509-4545. Don't be afraid. We're listening. Coming up after the break, it's the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, October the 25th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee is back. Andy Frank will be here and Alex Smythe will also join the quiz. They square off to find out who has news quiz supremacy. Paul Daniel also back in the mix this week, so he wrote the questions. I've got them here. They're like gold. It's like Glen Gary Glen Ross over here. 
Who's got the Glengarry leads? I have the Glengarry leads. Before we get to any of that, including a Brock Richardson sports chat, let's get to the regional news updates. The British Columbia government has announced an anti-violence program aimed at protecting healthcare workers, including nurses, at 26 emergency departments and mental health facilities. BC Nurses Union President Umam Grawal says she endured countless incidents of violence and threats when she worked in a hospital. So their behavior can be erratic, can be aggressive, and uh, sometimes they have to be restrained or put into a security room, and uh, they will oppose that. Growell is hoping care aides and support workers who do not work at sites operated by health authorities will also be included in the program. Over to the prairies, where we're continuing to talk about health care. Health care unions say an overhaul of Alberta health services could further destabilize a system already in crisis. Leaders from the Alberta Union of Public Employees, the Canadian Union of Public Employees, the Health Sciences Association of Alberta, and the United Nurses of Alberta say it's time to fix staffing issues in the health care system. Health Sciences Association President Mike Parker says the situation is critical. Alberta's health care system is in crisis. We are no longer able to ensure that an Albertan needing care will get it in time. People are dying waiting for care. Parker says the problem will not be solved by an overhaul of Alberta Health Services. And then over to the Atlantic, because we already gave you a bunch of Ontario mayoral information in the last hour of the show. So we jump over to the Atlantic provinces where about 160 Nova Scotia public school staff are expected to join the ongoing school support workers strike today. More than 600 workers from the Annapolis Regional Centre for Education walked off the job yesterday and staff from the South Shore Regional Centre for Education intend to follow suit today. The strike action comes after more than a year of bargaining between the Nova Scotia government and the General Employees Union and the regional education centers that's your look at the regional news now we can bring in brock richardson for a sports chat brock we have lots to react to from yesterday beginning with a press conference in the afternoon where montreal canadians goaltender carrie price had a session with the media where he said i don't have any intention of retiring right now Brock, what's your reaction to the Carey Price press conference? So, so you and I always have pretty, pretty, you know, decent chats when one of us gets puzzled over something. The other one can usually come up with some reason. So I'm, I'm leaning on you for this one because this puzzles me. I don't know why now you would come out and say, at this time, I have no plans on retiring. That would be like me saying, at this time, I have no plans on leaving now with Dave Brown because I don't. But you just never know what circumstances in life may change. And I don't know what the gain is for Carey Price to come to the microphone and say, I I don't have any plans now. Well, obviously, because if you did have plans, you would have retired like can you can you help me piece this together Mm -hmm. or are you just as puzzled as i am no i'm I'm definitely here to help you brock i'm definitely here to help you i'm a homie on this front so here are a couple ideas that i have floating around my brain he has several years left on a contract that pays him over 10 million dollars a year if he retires he doesn't get that money that's first and foremost whereas if he stays on long-term injured reserve he gets that money the insurance company pays that money out everybody's happy doesn't count against the salary cap 
and gets ten, over about $10.5 million a year. That, 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 that that's would be reason number one. Reason number two is there was no reason for him to come back and play last year, and he still did because I think the game means something to him. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's chosen to stay in Montreal and stay on the South Shore and do his rehab on his on his left leg with the team this year. I think for him being around the game and being around the team still means something. All he's known is hockey for about 35 years of his life. So when he says, I'm not ready to retire right now, I think he's being very honest about that. But he also realizes that the sun is setting on his career. Yeah, and I mean, I I can relate to that because uh, I don't know if I said it on this program or other ones, but I went to a, um, a regional uh, bocce event uh, in the late spring, early summer sort of time frame because I thought, you know, maybe I can go back and have some fun, you know, playing sports and being around teammates. And the event was utterly atrocious. And I mean, I threw one ball and said, no, I need to go back into retirement. But it's it's one of those things you want to be around the people you love, the sport you love. And so now I'm finding other avenues to be involved in the sport in different ways that don't require me, you know, throwing a bocce ball and, and not being as competitive as I once was because those athletes are far and away above what I am now mm. when I was then. So I, I can relate to that. I just, for me, it was like, okay. Okay, why now? But I guess, as you point out, if it's all, you know, if it's a part of a ploy to sort of tell the insurance company, you know, in a, in a polite way, look, I'm not retiring, so you're still going to pay me my money <laughs> in, a, in a polite way, of course. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's fair. He's, he's owed a lot of money and he's, he's, he's done a lot for that organization. And it was evident to the home opener when they gave him quite the yeah. roar and response. I think the fans know exactly what's going on here. And, you know, he could have left Montreal and gone somewhere else and and done what he's doing now. But I think he's he's sticking around in Montreal because he just loves it. And Montreal is a is a hockey mecca, as we've talked about many, many times. That's where home has been for him since basically 2007. He, he lives in the offseason in British Columbia and Washington State, but home in the season has been Montreal for 15 years. So Kerry has a deep, deep connection to that city. I think it's also a testament to the organizational overhaul that's taken place in the last year since Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon were named as the top executives in that in that organization. It had been pretty dysfunctional and pretty toxic for a couple of years, and they've overhauled everything. New player development coaches, new player development systems, new health and rehab coaches, everything. They've, they've totally changed the professionalism inside that organization, and that's also one of the reasons why I believe he's chosen to stay around the team and around Brossard this year, uh, where, where the team's facility is in the South Shore, because of the caliber of investment that the organization has made here. This is a really, really critical thing that people sometimes don't think about in the organizational side of a hockey team. It was something that the, that the Toronto Maple Leafs did a couple of years ago when they hired Brendan Shanahan, they overhauled everything. And that's what Montreal is doing at this time now. They're trying to overhaul what was about 10 years of total dysfunction in that organization. And it, it's a testament to the fact that he wants to be around that when he could easily just be chilling in Vancouver for a year, or chilling in Kelowna for a year, or hanging out in his cottage somewhere. He is 
a devoted member of this team. And I think that speaks to the professionalism that's going on around that program right now. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's, you know, again, this is why I brought it because I figured, you know, you're probably going to make me think about, you know, another point of view. And, and I have changed with everything you've said. I mean, I think loyalty doesn't go a long way in sports now because you see trades happen. But in this case, this is the epitome of, of loyalty and giving back to an organization that's given you so much. And, and I think that's sort of a lost art in, in sport today is people go towards the money and not necessarily towards the organization. In this case, Gary Price has been paid a lot of money by the Montreal Canadiens, so it's not the same thing. But, yeah, I, I like the loyalty spin to this yeah. and all that both sides have given to each other <laughs> and 30 to 40 million dollars more of that loyalty can be purchased as mm. well over the next couple of years uh brock let's go elsewhere in the nhl it was a, you said yesterday dave don't worry about monday night football there is a great nhl slate for you to consume and you specifically shouted out the edmonton oilers playing host to the pittsburgh penguins erasing a 3-1 deficit and just blowing the wheels off the penguins brock your reaction to the oilers with a great comeback win at home last night Yes, so the final score was 6-3 uh, to three, uh, for Edmonton. I uh, just want to give you some perspective. The shots for Pittsburgh in the first period was 19-3. to three. Uh, Pittsburgh just simply outplayed them in the first period. And then Edmonton d- did what Edmonton does and says, no, no, we're just going to turn this on. From the rest of the game, they were outshot 26-2. to four from that point in the second period and and beyond with four unanswered goals. I mean, watching this team is amazing to watch. They are never out of a game. And I know that's very cliche to say, but it's true because they they've brought themselves out of deficits this year multiple times uh, this season. Connor McDavid went down with a, a very interesting little fall, but he came back into the game. I think he was kind of hit a little bit in the knee slash Charlie horse area because he couldn't, he couldn't put weight on it when he got up, but then he came back and all was well. Uh, Jay Woodcroft, their coach said that was kind of the turning point in all this. When you see your captain go down, the power play came out, scored a goal and everything was just right again. And I think sometimes teams can rally around a injury like that, even though it wasn't a long-term injury. Let's, let's do this for Connor. Let's, let's play this. And I think that's part of what made the spirit sort of turn up. It's like, okay, our captain fell awkwardly. Let's hope he can come back, but we're going to play a bit of a spirited game in his in his honor, if you will. And he came back and played really well. So Let's get to another positive result. The Ottawa Senators beat the Dallas Stars 4-2. to two. This young Ottawa team, it's coming together. Shane Pinto, his fifth goal of the season, on pace to score 70 this year. Uh, yes, uh, Shane Pinto... Uh, you must be uh, reading my my notes again. Oh, Dave, sorry, because <laughs> watching that's okay. No worries. Watching uh, Shane Shane Pinto is unbelievable. I when I saw that he scored, you know, five and five games, it's pretty cool. You know, this team when you have not as much expectation as some of the other Canadian teams that we've talked about, this is good. You can play loose hockey. Every win they get is kind of. A building block, I think, as you point out, if they can be competitive in the last portions of the season, this is a good thing. And what they're building up with, with you know, um, 
four wins already on on the season. This is good. Ottawa is a good team to watch, and it pains me as my childhood as I used to not like Ottawa and Montreal. But I got to be honest, Ottawa's an intriguing team to watch this year, and, and I love seeing uh, what I'm seeing. Just a young fiery team mm-hmm. with no pressure playing loose and and that can really help you when you're playing loose that can really help you in in the long in the long term and i think that's exactly what ottawa's doing i think especially coming off some news of some injuries uh, across across the organization it's it's nice to pick up that one at home against a good dallas team who's probably looking forward to get the heck out of ontario because it's been a bit of a rough ride passing through ontario <laughs> for the dallas stars yes brock let's go to the winnipeg jets who shut out the st louis blues last night a bit of a surprising result but uh, a really well-rounded game by winnipeg only allowing 25 shots Yes, very well-rounded game. Uh, Connor Hellebuck played a really nice game. Even uh, the St. Louis goalie, Thomas uh, Greases, I I don't know how you say that, Greases had a really nice game. Even though he let four goals in, he really had some 10-bell saves uh, that he made, uh, even though it's a 4-0 game. And I know some people look at the score and said, yeah, but he got scored four times. Yeah, but the amount of chances that uh, Winnipeg had, you know, it could have been a five, six, seven, nothing game in the end of all this. So the offense kind of let them down last night, but man, Winnipeg's an interesting team. Again, I thought you'd see some sort of fallout from the uh, no captaincy, all assistant, but they're all doing the right things and scoring goals. Their offense is doing what it needs to do, putting up, you know, four points. Again, Winnipeg is, has always been my, Keep an eye on Winnipeg team because uh, you don't know what they might come up with. But Connor Hellebuck can can literally go through a, I'm going to shut everybody out to giving out five goals in the next game. So we'll see whether he can, uh, he can continue this great play that he had last night and uh, see where we go from there. Yeah. So much elite top tier talent for the Winnipeg Jets, including Cole Perfetti, a draft pick from a couple of years ago, who's uh, going to be a regular everyday player for them this season. And he's already got a couple goals. So they're, they're playing well. There's a lot of elite talent up front for Winnipeg. They can, they can put it in. So if Connor Hellebuck makes those stops on a somewhat shaky defensive core, he, uh, they can, they can be a very exciting team to watch. And they gave it to St. Louis pretty good last night. Brock, before we get to the Toronto Major Maple Leafs and the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I know we talked extensively about Vancouver last week, so no need to go too deep into this, but Vancouver, the only team in the NHL who has yet to win a game as they lost to the Carolina Hurricanes last night. No shame in losing to the Hurricanes. That's a good team, but goodness gracious, things are going to get ugly in Vancouver and they're going to get ugly fast. Can I just say the one stat that glares out to me if you are Vancouver? They have been outscored 15 to two in the third period that is a glaring glaring stat things are gonna get ugly and it's gonna not look so good for for uh vancouver bruce boudreau i i don't know the guy the guy's a a a wizard because he just kind of stands there and uh we're gonna put it together we're gonna put it together he gives you that such good coach speak and i'm like have you seen what your team is doing yeah oh man you know it's but he's he's also been pretty hard on on them too so in fairness i i don't know i would not want to be bruce boudreau because you're trying to find uh something to you know pull positives and when i throw out that's a 15 to 2 in the third period. That's not positive. Sorry, Vancouver fans. Oh, fans already throwing their jerseys on the ice. We're not even 10 games into the season. Oh, I'll, I'll, can I, go ahead. Go ahead. 
can I just say on the throwing of the of the jerseys onto the ice? I don't get it. I I, I will I I don't understand it. You don't want to be a fan of a team? That's cool. Don't embarrass your hometown team by throwing a jersey on the on the ice. I mean, there were some players that have said, you know, you want to throw your your jersey on the on the ice. Be my guest. There was a little bit of expletive in there that I won't. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was JT. Here, that was JT Miller. Yeah, but. But it's be my guest. We've got things to worry about here, and the last thing we're going to worry about is whether you decide to throw your $125 jersey, dollar jersey on the ice. Cool. I've seen it in Toronto. I don't like it. I don't like it anywhere. I think it's disrespectful to not only the team now, but the history of any organization that you just throw that on the ice. Not cool. I think it's a paying customer. You can do as you please, so long as you don't hurt anybody. That said, I wonder what happens to those jerseys after they get thrown on the ice. Do they get given to charity? Do they burn them? I wonder what happens to that jersey. I wonder what the I journey hope, of the jersey is. I hope it's going to charity, but I have a feeling probably not. Because I think if it was going to charity, you'd hear about yeah. that. Yeah, what a troll job it would be if the entire team signed the jersey and then they auctioned it off. <laughs> and like, hey, thank you for letting us auction this off for the, for the Canucks Foundation. You're a very kind community builder. Okay, <laughs> Brock, let's get to uh, one more Canadian result from last night. Man, lots of Canadian teams in action last night. The Toronto Maple Leafs falling to the Vegas Golden Knights. On Friday, we were hanging out, Brock. You told me you're not living and dying by every single game, but I'm sure the losses still sting a little bit. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not living and dying. I said that yesterday on the neutral zone. I, I'm not. I'm not living and dying on this. Uh, yeah, they got off to an okay start. Phil Kessel scored a goal, which was called back, uh, and then the wheels fell off in the third period after I fell asleep. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these, these late uh, West Coast swings are, are killer. Uh, yeah, when, yeah, I when, feel you. Know. I, I feel you, but, buddy. Uh, the highlights do do wonders, and they weren't pretty highlights last night. So we'll see what happens. I, I I still like this team. I still think we can be good. But man, the the roller coaster that we live on as Leaf fans can be a challenging one for sure. Brock, you said the magic word, Phil Kessel, who last night tied Keith Yandel's Ironman streak record for most consecutive games played. If he plays one more, he sets the record. He has a 989. He's 11 away from playing 1,000 straight games. Brock, your reaction to Phil Kessel, who sometimes people refer to, have thought of as, oh, that's a soft floater over there. Phil Kessel getting to a, a nearly 1,000 straight games without an absence, that's impressive stuff. Anyone who says uh, he's soft, I challenge you to play close to 1,000 games without injury. Uh, and see what you say when you're calling Phil Kessel soft. I, you know, everything that I was hearing last night, Phil Kessel is just a through-and-through through good teammate. He, every organization he's played with has said the very same thing. I like Phil Kessel. I don't believe that he was a good fit here in, in Toronto. I, I, I think he could have been better. I think... You know, he, he whatever, but he is a good player and he deserves all the credit for playing nearly a thousand games. Because if I tried to do that, play a thousand bocce games in a row, uh, I'd be a little tired and mm -hmm. probably suffer some injuries. So credit to Phil Kessel, even though some don't want to give him the credit. It's a, is a very impressive feat. The other thing about Phil Kessel is the production has been there too. There's been Stanley Cups along the way. He was a critical part of those Pittsburgh teams that won Stanley Cups. Uh, Phil Kessel, Hall of Famer, Brock? 
Uh, maybe. 400 if goals. He, he's going to have played over a thousand games, won a couple Stanley Cups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see it. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Phil Kessel guy. I followed uh, Phil when he won those Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh was a little bitter when he brought it back to Toronto, but I, and I filled get it, it with hot dogs. <laughs> I understand. And he'll be synonymous for those hot dogs in uh, in in Toronto, man, forever. I support yeah. I support anybody who's got a love of hot dogs. There's no doubt about it. Brock, let's uh, go from the hockey world over to the basketball world. The Toronto Raptors with a nice bounce back win over the Miami Heat last night. Your reaction to that result? Ninety eight ninety was the final score. Um, I this was a good game. I think that um, with no Scotty Barnes due to the ankle injury. And they're still able to do this. Uh, this is good. I think when you get Chris Boucher back on the bench, you saw the difference he can make. If we can uh, get Scotty Barnes and Boucher back together, this will be a good thing. Shout out uh, Fred Van Vliet, who passes Morris Peterson for second all-time most threes made in franchise wow. history. Wow. With 802 is the is the uh, second place uh, for the uh, all-time threes. Freddie is Mr. Bet on Yourself. I love me some Freddie. I could watch him every day of the week. Uh, he's just a wonderful uh, basketball player, really good teammate. Um, just just love the way this team uh, can play. I think they've uh, they ran into some tough games when they played um, the Heat and then uh, Brooklyn. You know, the game against Brooklyn recently when we were out hanging out at one Jeff Ryman's wedding, I was impressed that they only lost by three points. You know, even though a loss is not what you're looking for, when you can, you know, be be right there with a team uh, and only lose by three points, this is good. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting the world from, from the Raptors this year, but when you can hold yourself and be competitive, and I know I'm sounding like I'm talking about a tri-league, but the, the truth <laughs> of the matter is is that... Uh, against a, an upper echelon team like that, if you can be competitive and not blown out, I, I'm cool with that. So good on the Raptors for uh, getting a win, uh, which had a weird schedule of playing the same team back to back to back. Well, not back to back, but two games in a row mm-hmm. of uh, same city, and you know, no, that's just weird. A weird. No, that's weird. I, I don't, I don't care like what you say. That's weird. That like to play two games in Miami in three nights is weird. Yeah, and like it even caused me to the point of being like. Did I did I read that right? Is it a misprint? Is it like I had to go look on the schedule and say, okay, is this because I thought it was an app, like a glitch on the app? But yeah. no, they. they I don't. I don't them. think you could trust me to have a night off in Miami between games as a millionaire. <laughs> I think there'd be trouble. There'd be, there'd be trouble a brewing on South Beach if you let me loose. Uh, Brock, we got to get out of here. But sir, you have yourself a great day. Enjoy some sports tonight, and we'll chat again tomorrow morning. We will indeed. Thanks so much. That is Brock Richardson. Oh no, Brock, don't go yet. Don't hang up on Brock. Do still Brock? Yeah, I'm still here. Brock, sorry, I forgot. We It's Tuesday, which means we promote the Neutral Zone, which folks can find Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio and on YouTube a little bit later. Brock, what's coming up on the Neutral Zone? We're talking to Dean Brokop, who is the uh, uh, director of the uh, Canadian Paralympic uh, Foundation, which is a very cool interview. Also, find out why we got on to talking about a pickle in a bag for the first eight minutes of the program. (laughs) It was a very interesting conversation. I found pickle in a bag and was asking my co-host, would you eat it? It was just on the shelf. And so it was a very 
intriguing conversation. So tune in for that. Okay. Plus, we dissect the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs because that's the only team we didn't get to in <laughs> last week's preview. So. A little pickle talk, a little pickle talk with Brock. Brock, thank you uh, for this. Thank you. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone. Let's bring in Alex Smythe for the National Weather Update. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's mainly sunny and a high of 18. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's showers this morning, then clearing up and becoming cloudy, and up to 5 millimeters of rain is expected with a high of 19. In St. John, New Brunswick, showers and possible thunderstorms this morning, and then it will be cloudy and more possible rain in the afternoon with up to 15 millimeters expected. And the high there, it's 15. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of showers and a high of 19. In Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy and a high of 18. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's cloudy this morning with possible showers in the afternoon and a high of 15. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's light snow this morning, but it's ending by the afternoon and then becoming cloudy. The high is 1. Over to Regina, Saskatchewan, snow flurries in the morning and then cloudy in the afternoon. Minus one is the high. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of eight. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy with a chance of flurries and freezing rain this morning, then clearing up in the afternoon with a high of five. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy with a chance of snow flurries in the morning then a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon with a high of negative five. In Kelowna, BC, it's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloud cover as the day goes on and the high there is 10. And finally in Vancouver, BC, it's cloudy this morning, then rain in the afternoon and 11 is your high. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, there's a very interesting edition of Tech Trends about arts and artificial intelligence. As you know, you can't spell arts without artificial. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown. Let's turn to a technology story. Artificial intelligence, it's making its way into the artistic world. Daria Albinger draws out the details in Tech Trends. AI art is sort of the hot new thing. PC World's Mark Hockman says artificial intelligence programs like DAL-E2 and Midjourney draw on millions of images from across the internet. You put in a text prompt, uh, something like a, a unicorn galloping through a field or uh, a girl eating an ice cream cone in the style of Salvador Dali. And what will happen is that the AI uh, behind the scenes on a server will generate a essentially a unique piece of art that meets those criteria. Now Microsoft is announcing some new tools which use the same technology. They're saying that soon uh, they'll have uh, a Microsoft designer app for Windows and a separate related Microsoft 
Image Creator tool set for both Bing and Microsoft Edge. The Image Creator tool in Bing is available in certain markets now. The Microsoft Edge version is set to roll out in the coming weeks. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. So for all these years, we've been concerned that artificial intelligence is coming for more manufacturing jobs and monotonous jobs. And the reality is, yes, AI is coming for that. The robots are coming for that. We've been using robotics and automation for years. But for those of us in the artistic field, look out because those robots are coming too. That AI is coming as well. They're going to be writing songs. They're going to be making art. We're going to be literally dealing with creative robots. It'll be Now with Dave Brown, hosted by Dave Browntron, which is great. I can sleep in, and a robot surely can mimic my personality. They'd certainly be better at math. Coming up after the break... We'll bring in Alex Smythe, Ramya Amuthan, and Nazreen Abdelmajid. We'll talk about some of the ongoing issues that Kanye West is going through with corporate brands ending their partnership with him. And I want to talk about the merits and drawbacks of celebrities associating with brands. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Before we bring in Alex Rumya and Nizreen for a discussion on this, let's set up the topic with a news story. Companies are distancing themselves from Kanye West. Oscar Wells Gabriel has more. The latest two agencies to cut ties with Ye is his talent agent, CAA, and the producers of a documentary about him. Both moves come in the wake of Ye's recent slew of anti-Semitic remarks. In deciding to ditch the Ye documentary, execs with MRC Studios say they cannot support any content that amplifies Ye's platform. It's the latest sanction to hit the rap star since his remarks online and elsewhere. In addition to criticizing Jews, he has mocked the Black Lives Matter movement, African-Americans in general, and the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm Oscar Wells Gabriel. So let's talk about celebrities and corporations and the way in which there's an inherent risk when a corporation wants to tie themselves to a celebrity. Through that, we'll bring in Nazreen Abdelmajid, Ramya Amuthan, and Alex Smythe. So Nazreen, we've talked about Kanye quite a bit on this show over the years for the good and the bad, and there's been a lot of bad of late. What do you think the risk is when a corporation ties themselves to a celebrity the way Adidas did? I think it's good that they're trying to, you know, distance themselves from Kanye because they know that a lot of people will cut them off. So for me, if I know that a company is supporting something that's totally wrong, uh, pro-violence or whatever it is, whatever it may be, I will cut them off. I will make sure that it's not just a rumor and I will cut them out of my life for sure. I will. I won't buy from them. I won't. Uh, look at their content and things like that. So a lot of these companies are smart about it from distancing themselves. I mean, it's a bit late, but um, uh, yeah. So I think it's a it's a good idea to do so. It should be noted, they're not giving back all the money they made. 
from selling yay sneakers over the years, mm. selling those Yeezys. That money is staying in their pockets, so they're pretty, it's pretty convenient for them to say now, ah, there's, there, there was nothing problematic about Kanye West, but we've decided in the last two weeks there is something problematic yeah. about Kanye West. There's a certain cynicism that goes along with that. Ramya, your reflection on the, the, the advantages but also the pitfalls of major corporations partnering themselves with celebrities. Yeah, businesses can be pretty sneaky, right? Like I'm reading um, After Steve by Trip Mickle. It was our book club pick and learning so much about Apple's collaborations with, for example, Dr. Dre and the, you know, the Beats headphones and all of these different things that happened. So, I mean, it can feel a little sneaky sometimes. As you said, they're keeping all that money. And a while ago, I also want to point out that we were talking about Yay, formerly Kanye, as having a lot of mental health crises and 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 um, you know, should we be supportive? How are we reacting to him? And how are his close peers and his family reacting to him? So there was this like area, this time frame where we weren't sure how to respond to Kanye. But now he's talking a lot of discrimination. He's he's you know anti-Semitic remarks and all of these different things going on and the support. Like we're we're seeing that other people. So now. Adidas has to act fast, right? Like they can't act preemptively anymore. As you, as Nisreen said, it's a little bit late. But you, if you as a company aren't making proactive decisions or kind of getting ahead of the game of what could and can't ruin your your reputation and uh, <laughs> your products being sold, then it, it's going to be a problem and it might be longer lasting than even Kanye's outbreaks. Mm, yeah, Adidas didn't seem to have any issue with the accusations Kim Kardashian was making about stalking and threats right. of violence against their children. Adidas seemed to be pretty happy to sit on the sidelines when that one was happening. So again, sometimes the public pressure changes and perhaps hate crimes we look at differently than violence against women. I don't know if we should, but we probably shouldn't. But uh, but definitely Adidas was willing to sit on the sidelines for that one. His agency was willing to sit on the sidelines for that one. The documentary filmmakers are willing to sit on the sidelines for that mm-hmm. one. So there is, again, that cynicism that comes into it, although to a certain degree, sometimes it becomes a critical mass as well. We'll forgive you a foible or two. We're not going to forgive you many, many, many foibles. Alex, your reaction to the relationship that can be somewhat dangerous between corporations and celebrities yeah to me and uh, you kind of have touched on this already is the fact that well how much money has adidas made over the years through his uz shoes this is all financial but that's 100 percent what it is this there was no um greater good there's no uh kind of a moral imperative of these companies to take a a stance because honestly it comes down to the financial impact of keeping uh kanye on as a a spokesperson as as a a brand partner it's the same thing with his agency the same thing with the documentary these are all financial hits it's like okay there's a diminishing uh, point of return at at a certain point you cross a line where it's like okay you're we can deal with so much controversy until now this is going to financially have a greater impact on us and as nasreen was talking about too and and i think this is something that's really come about especially in the past like five, 10 years, at least from what I've I've seen, is the fact that companies are much more aware now of the impact of negative publicity, social media. There there can be a swell of boycotting, of canceling companies if they do not take action against problematic behavior, whether it's from themselves or from uh, people who are representing themselves. And so this distancing from 
Kanye, it's, it's, it's a positive thing. I don't know if we would have seen this as uh, much in 10, 15, 20 years ago as we do today, which is a sign that there is some progress there. But make, make no um, illusions about it. This is all out of financial benefit. Okay, if we cut them now, you know, our, our brand won't take as much of a financial hit. People are still going to buy our products because we took the stand to, to sever ties with them. I have, to where, hold, where is it? I have to hold you guys to quick answers on this one. We acknowledge that Adidas was late in making this decision, but now that they've made a positive decision, similar to how a couple of companies disassociated themselves with Hockey Canada, Nike, Bauer, Tim Hortons, TELUS, et cetera, although they were late to that party as well, when those companies make the decision to do the distancing or sever ties, does that make you more likely to buy one of their products, Alex? Uh, it, it depends, really. Like, I never have a loyalty based on whether they have a, they're supporting someone or not supporting someone. It's really, to me, it's based on the product and 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 whether or not I find that product valuable. I, I'm not usually drawn by uh, the the other peripheral things that are happening by who's sponsoring them or who are they not sponsoring. Ramya, even if it's late to make the decision, is it at all a catalyst to have you buy a product from that company when they make that decision publicly? Yeah, there's so much personal bias in this, right? Like if I was um, uh, leaning towards Adidas anyway, if I was interested in their clothing, their make, their everything, then that would uh, influence whether I continue with them. But also my personal struggles with Kanye, because we grew up with his music. We grew mm -hmm. up with him as a person. Mm -hmm. We knew he was super controversial to begin with. So that I was, I was, listening, to, I was listening to the Jay-Z's Black album today, which was largely exactly. produced by Kanye. Exactly. So it's it's that too. Like when we were going through the last several years of how we feel about Kanye, can we forgive uh, Adidas for not making a bigger stance earlier because we were also struggling with how we feel about Kanye? Mm. You know the parallels. Nazreen, even if they're late to even if they're late to making the decision, can a company making this decision catalyze you to actually buy one of their products? That's such a good point, Ramia. But um, yeah, I think it. I would be more likely to buy from their products once they've made a proactive decision. Guys, I thank you for this. I know this is a little bit heavier territory than we usually wander into in this conversation, but it's an important one. Nizreen, thank you. Thank you. Alex, you don't go too far because you'll be back for the news quiz in a couple of moments. Ramia, before yeah, I say yeah. goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time? We have our nutrition talk with Julia Karanchis, and she's sharing junk food alternatives just ahead of Halloween. Can you believe it? Alternatives. Um, so she's <laughs> honestly telling us I'm what sorry. can make You're, us these feel good. These carrots will not replace my Doritos. <laughs> they just won't. Well, maybe she'll forgive us for like the one day of okay. Halloween. I don't, know. I don't know. She's pretty lenient sometimes. Uh, but things that'll make us feel good. And she's considering something to satisfy our sweet tooth, our uh, salt cravings as well, but still alternatives to junk food. In honor of Disability Employment Awareness Month, we are chatting and talking about uh, the Inclusive Economy Project. And this is a research project in BC aiming to make more inclusive workplaces. We'll find out more about that. And we have our book club, as I said, we're reviewing after Steve, how Apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul. This is by Trip Mickle, and we're chatting about it with Stephen Scott. Oh he my, was the recommender. Oh my gosh, I love the book clubs that you guys do so, so good. Ramya, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. That, that's Ramya Emuthan, the co host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI Audio. Coming up next, it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee, Andy Frank, Alex Smythe, they'll be here, and I'll put them to the test. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Thank you.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's Tuesday. It's the end of the show. That means it's time for the weekly news quiz. Ah, yes, tis the time of the week when we welcome in our contestants. It's not the mayor of Morrisburg, Ontario, Karen McGee. No, I would not want that job. (laughs) (laughs) And it is not the mayor of Burlington, Ontario, Alex Smythe. No, I wouldn't want that job either. And I don't think his name was on the ballot either. It's not the mayor of North York, Ontario, Andy Frank. No, sir. We have unanimity across the board. No mayors here, but we do have time for a news quiz. I'll go over the rules very quickly here. We have three rounds of questions, three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded and we only judge you a little bit. Paul Daniel back in the mix this week as the questioner the question writer and the order drawer. So the order will be Karen, Andy, and Alex. Karen, are you ready? I guess. We're starting in the world of politics. Pennsylvania Senate candidate Mehmet Oz has been criticized for speaking at a fundraiser in front of a car that used to belong to which notorious figure? Hitler. That is correct. Two points for Karen McGee as I mark that in there. Oz, Dr. Oz, we should should give him his appropriate pronoun, Dr. Oz gave a speech at Lion Air Museum in Santa Ana, California as part of a $1,500 ticket fundraiser. Andy Frank, question number two goes to you. Last week, another group of climate change protesters defaced a work of arts by this impressionist at the Barberini Museum in Potsdam, Germany. What artist's work was defaced? I'll need the options, please. Was it... Auguste Renoir, Claude Monet, or Edgar Degas? I believe it was Degas. That is incorrect. Alex? It was Monet? That answer is Monet. Monet. Money Monet by Alex. A couple of protesters glued their hands to the wall by the painting after throwing mashed potatoes at the famous work. So mashed potatoes and glue. A little bit of a double, a little bit of a double dose there. Alex, let's head over to you. A federal judge rejected whose attempt to delay his deposition in a defamation lawsuit brought by E. John Carroll, a former magazine columnist. I'll I'll need the options for that one. Is it Deshaun Watson, Donald Trump, or Alex Jones? I'm going to say Alex Jones. That is incorrect. Karen McGee. It's Trump. It is indeed the Trumpster. (laughs) Carol has accused Trump of raping her in the mid-1990s, which Trump has denied. Let's go over to round number two with Andy Frank getting the first crack at this one. Coming from the world of sports, which race car driver won his second Formula One World Championship after a victory at the Japanese Grand Prix? I'll need the options, please. Was it Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, or Fernando Alonso? I'll go with Verstappen. There's no stopping Verstappen, and there's no stopping Andy Frank, who's on oh, the yeah. board with a point. The Dutch member of Red Bull Racing has won back-to-back F1 World Championships, and that's Red Bull's first-ever F1 World Championship. Not that I'm an F1 guy. Let's bring in Alex Smythe 
Alex, which former presidential candidate announced last week that she is leaving the Democratic Party? Ooh. I'll, I'll need the options. Is it Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, or Carol Mosley Braun? It's Tulsi Gabbard. That is correct. Alex, knocking that politics question down. The announcement was made by the former Hawaiian congresswoman on the first episode of her new podcast, The Tulsi Gabbard Show. Very original naming concept right there. No doubt about it. Let's go over to Karen McGee. Karen, para-athlete Mel Pemble of Victoria won two gold medals and set a world record on the way to becoming a first-time champion at this year's World Championships on the weekend. What event is she the champion? Oh, I saw this, but I can't remember what sport. But I'll take the choices. Is it swimming, cycling, or fencing? I want to say cycling, but I think I'm wrong. I'm going to say cycling. That is correct. Karen McGee. The 22-year-old shattered the world mark in last week's 200-meter sprint and won the women's WC3 scratch race on Friday and added a third and fourth place finishes in the 500 time trial and four-kilometer individual pursuit. The event was held in France. So after two rounds, I'm sorry, I didn't do a score count after the first round because I'm not very good at this. After two rounds, we have Karen McGee with four points, Andy with one point, and Alex with two. So it's anybody's game going into the third round. First question, round three, going to Alex. Earlier this month, this East African nation announced an immediate overnight curfew, closing places of worship and entertainment into and out of two districts affected by Ebola. What country is it? I don't need the options, Dave. Is it Kenya, South Sudan, or Uganda? I'm going to go with Uganda. That is correct. A good guess by Alex. The curfew is expected to last 21 days. The national government has reported 19 people have died since the East African nation announced the outbreak last month. Karen McGee, question number two of round number three. The Biden administration has ordered a $290 million stockpile of drug called Neplate that can be used to treat which illness? I'll take the choices, please. Is it radiation sickness, monkeypox, or lupus? Radiation sickness. That is correct. A fifth point for Karen McGee, almost assuring herself victory here. The Department of Health and Human Services says the purchase is unrelated to any recent nuclear threats related to the war in is it Ukraine. Though? What was that, yeah, Karen? I don't know. I say, is it really, though? Cynicism. Like, a little cynicism there by Karen McGee. Andy? You still have an opportunity to tie for second place here if you swing for the fences, or you can guarantee a Karen McGee win if you ask for the options on this one for question number three of round number three. Anna Mae Wong, a Hollywood film star who had a trailblazing career, will be the first Asian-American featured on U.S. currency. Which bill or coin will her face appear on? In the best interest of uh, competitive spirit, I'm going to go for it here. And I'm going to go for the silver dollar. Mm. Oh. Incorrect. Karen, why the why the deep why the deep sigh? You're afraid that Alex. Oh, I knew gonna... the answer. Oh. I knew the answer. It's okay, a pretty well, easy answer. Uh, well, okay, and I think I know the answer too, Karen. It's, it's, so... Calm down over well, here, easy, everyone. It's, it's a, it, I'd say it's an easy answer because it's what Americans put everything on. Uh, uh, 
okay, Karen, fair, fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Let's okay. well, let's give Alex's opportunity here to uh, answer answer this. Oh yeah, and it's Alex's yeah. crack at this. Alex, do you want the options or do you want the two points? A quarter. A quarter. That is correct. Two points for Alex, and we have a five-five tie after question number three of round number three. The Wong Quarter will be the fifth release this year as part of the American Women Quarters program, which calls for five new coins each year from 2022 to 2025. So Karen is right. That's the thing they're they're putting all their stuff on. Alex, I expect payment of at least a quarter <laughs> for having taken that risk on your behalf. There we go. Oh, make sure Andy you have not friends two quarters. Anymore. <laughs> We're no longer friends, Andy. These are the kind of backroom deals that we like. These aren't just for uh, leadership <laughs> races of political parties. That's we can right. cut backroom deals right here on the air. In the light of day with total transparency, sunlight is the best disinfectant after all. Okay, let us get to our tie-breaking question. Now, things always get a little complicated here over Skype because uh, there could be some delays, there could be latency. So the rules are I am going to read the question, and as soon as I'm done reading the question, I will say the word done. The first person to shout out their name can answer without options. If after a few seconds nobody has an answer, I will say options and read the options. But I will read all three and then once again say done before anybody can shout. Understood? Yep. Yes, sir. Okay. This CBC personality announced this week their retirement from the network after more than 30 years at the helm. Done. Alex. Alex. David Suzuki. Ah, uh, the Daves for Daves Club coming in through. Another win for Alex wow. Smythe. Suzuki has been host of the CBC TV program, The Nature of Things, for 44 years at the age of 86. Suzuki said the season will be his last and said he continues, he intends to continue to focus on environmental issues. 44 years of a TV show. I don't know if now with Dave Brown's going to go 44 years. I don't think we're quite as good as the nature of things. That's maybe one of the best Canadian television shows of all time. With that, the winner is... Alex Smythe, you're on a winning streak now. That's two in a row. I know. Like my Chicago Bears last night, no one expected me to, to win against the odds against Karen, but... Uh, I am happy for the outcome and uh, just glad to have another competitive game. Yeah. Any of... Are you, Alex? Are you really? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm, it, to tell you the truth, Karen, it's just nice just being in the win column again. I, you know, it's been a couple of weeks for you. Maybe you got to step up the game a bit next time. Mm -hmm. So happy for you. <laughs> if anybody, really? if, I can tell. If anybody needs a W, it's Andy. Andy, Andy's, a, Andy, Andy's, Andy's a good, Andy's a good sport over here, but it's been a bit of a rough ride. It's been a bit of a rough ride. <laughs> you've, you've, oh, poor Andy. Yeah, you're like the. I, I give him the assist. He, yeah, he definitely assisted. So thank you, Andy. Thank you. I dropped the, I dropped the puck right there. <laughs> For you, for your, for your slap shot. Uh, set, yep. up, a set up man for Glenn Anderson through That's and it. through. Uh, Andy, thank you for this. Karen, thank, thank you. Hey, no problem, Dave. Alex, congratulations again on the win. Thank you. That's all the time we have for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to have an, an interesting conversation with Jenny Bovard and Megan Gilmore about expiry dates and food labels and some of the accessibility around those issues. That's now with Dave Brown. The show gets going at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.